Good morning. Good morning. It is good to say good morning to a building filled with people rather than a screen. But hello if you're on the screen as well. Uh, it's really good to see you and I'm really glad to be reading uh, this part of the Bible with you. Uh, it is uh, just a, a cracking part of the Bible. But I, I wonder if over the last year or so, last two years, or maybe just ever really, if you've ever prayed for God's comfort, ever prayed for God's comfort. Uh, or not just for yourself, I, I know it's certainly something I pray for people that I know who are suffering, that God would comfort them. I, I think as humans, we often long for comfort in the midst of trouble. We desire an easing of pain in turmoil, and we long for kind words to alleviate grief. Comfort, you know, a hug from a friend, a cup of tea with a sibling, an encouraging word from a mate, uh, someone sitting with you. Maybe not even saying that much. A card, a text, a phone call, a bunch of flowers, a, a, a tray of brownies, a hand held by a parent, even a greasy burger can give a little comfort in the midst of hardship. In this world we live in, we need comfort. And you, well, you can get comfort in many places, some good and some bad. But today Jesus offers comfort, a comfort that is unmatched, a comfort for every and any pain. He offers comfort for those who are troubled, comfort for those who have questions, the doubter, and comfort for the one who wants more. So we're going to get into John 13 and 14, and we're going to listen to the comforting words of Christ, which I think are the sorts of words that we need right now after what has been quite a crazy sort of year. And the comforting words are exactly what the disciples need at the moment. They've been with Jesus for some time now, following him, listening to him, being in awe of the miracles he'd done. And they were devoted to him. You know, they, they'd given their time to him. But I wonder if they were starting to get a little scared or worried. Because not only were they in Jerusalem, and the Jewish leaders were out to kill him, uh, Jesus had been saying some things that might have caused some concern. He told them, my soul is troubled. He said to them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. And then at a special meal, which we read about last week, he sincerely spoke from his own troubled spirit, very truly I tell you, one is going to betray me. And we've just seen this one leave the room. I imagine hearing all those words, imagine seeing Judas leave. I mean, what would you be thinking if you were one of those disciples? Uh, possibly you're still a little confused uh, what Jesus is exactly saying, but then Jesus says it clearly uh, in our passage today, verse 33, my children... I will be with you only a little while longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Soon, Jesus will be gone. He will be with his Father in heaven. And so in these chapters, uh, the night before his death, he's preparing his disciples, not just for the next few days, not just for the next few months, but for the rest of their lives, where he won't be with them anymore. And the first thing he says is, love one another. Verse 34 to 35. Uh, we'll hear more about that in the coming weeks, but for now I just want you to notice how the disciples, they don't really engage with the command to love. Rather they seem to be pretty hung up on the words, I'm going to be with you only a little while longer. Because in this section, three different disciples speak up and they ask questions. None of them ask about love. All of them ask about where Jesus is going. It seems they are troubled by Jesus' impending departure. And so Jesus, even though he is troubled in spirit, uh, he comforts them in their troubles. And so today we're just going to step through each of the conversations. 
Uh, and as we go along, uh, we'll find some comfort in the words of Christ. There's an outline. You can follow it along. Uh, the first one we're going to see is Simon Peter. And to the troubled, Jesus says, trust. Simon Peter, I think on the face of it, he seems to me not that scared, not that troubled. He seems to be kind of full of bravado. In verse 36, he wants to know where Jesus is going and he wants to know why he can't follow him now. After all, Peter is willing to do whatever it takes. Verse 37, I will lay my life down for you. It's a pretty ironic moment. The only one who's going to be doing any laying down of life for someone else is Jesus, the good shepherd. The truth is, in verse 38, is that Peter will deny Jesus. Now, you and I, I think we, I, I speak for myself, I'm pretty familiar with this. Jesus, um, Peter denies Jesus. But if you were there, this, the disciples, this is their first time. Peter, he's going to deny Jesus. It would be a bit like this, but not entirely. You know, you're standing in the huddle for a sporting team and you're about to play the meanest and most aggressive team. You need all your players on point, not just to win, but to really survive. And so you're in this, this huddle and first your captain says, I'm leaving. You're a little nervous. Then the captain says, oh, and the second in charge, one of your best players, he's out as well. You're no, no longer nervous. You're kind of freaking out. And that's kind of what happens here. The disciples are in Jerusalem. Death is in the air. Jesus is leaving. And then he says, Peter, he'll deny me. The disciples are troubled. And into this, Jesus says, verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now today is probably most famously known, 31st October, as Halloween. Uh, maybe you'll be trick-or-treating later today, I don't know. But you might also know that it's Reformation Day. Uh, that's what some people call it. Uh, 504, I think is the right number, years. 504 years since Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the All Saints Church in Winnenberg. Uh, an event which they say sparked the Reformation. Uh, one great truth that flew from this was that uh, we are saved by faith alone in Christ. We don't earn our salvation, rather we receive it by trusting in what Christ has done. In a Reformed church, faith, belief, is often connected to salvation, eternal life. And if you've been with us in John's Gospel, you've probably seen that. But here, to troubled hearts, Jesus says, believe, or have faith, trust in God, and believe also in me. See, faith and belief is not only a salvation event, Faith and belief is for the here and now. Faith and belief is for the troubled heart. Believe in God, Jesus says. You know he's good. Believe in me. I'm the one from God. Now, Jesus' word is powerful, and I'm sure that could convince a troubled heart. But if those statements aren't enough, Jesus gives them a good reason to trust him. He tells them why he is going. Verse 2, My father's house has many rooms. If they were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Heaven here is described as a family house, a house with plenty of space, a house where no one will be left out, a house that will not be torn down, a house, a house Maybe something the disciples had not enjoyed for the last few years as they've travelled around with Jesus. A house 
probably not something they'll enjoy as they go on mission for Jesus later. A permanent house. Now that, that's a little impersonal. Maybe it's better to say a permanent home. Because this house is where the perfect, loving Father dwells. And Jesus says to his disciples, there's room for you there. A home with the Father in heaven. Jesus says, I guarantee it. Because that's why I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare it now. You know, that doesn't mean that he's going to prepare it. He's going to clean the floor or dust the furniture or make the bed or, or lay a little welcome mint on the, on the pillow to welcome them home. No, he's preparing this house, preparing the rooms by laying down his life and by taking it up again. Uh, you know, a lot of talk when we talk about Sydney and the housing market. It's crazy. I, I read last week that a house in Bronte uh, sold for $23 million. You know how much profit they made in five years? $15 million. Uh, you know, that's, that's an expensive house. But the cost of entry into the father's home, no money can buy. It can only be bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And he has paid it all. He has prepared a home for the disciples by his death. He has confirmed the purchase by his resurrection. To the troubled in heart, Jesus says, trust. He goes to prepare a home. And he promises, I'll come back. I'll come back and take my disciples to be where I am. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Uh, believe in God. Believe in me. Though he goes, he goes for you. And there is no greater comfort. I imagine many of us have troubled hearts. Maybe not right now, but I'm sure we've had troubled hearts in the past. And sometimes we can get into the habit of thinking, maybe I can fix my troubled heart with worldly solutions. And to an extent we can. I can testify. I've definitely been helped uh, have my troubles eased by talking with others, talking with professionals. Definitely helped. But I do hesitate to use the word fix to fix a troubled heart. Because in this life, there will always be trouble. Uh, many of us know it, know that. There, there is no permanent fix. And that's probably one of the things I've learned over the last two years. We can't beat COVID. You know, that slogan, we can beat it together, that just hasn't been true. If we put our focus on fixing things in the here and now, we'll end up disappointed. We need a better comfort. We need the comfort of Christ. We need to know that he has gone to prepare a home. And while he might not be with us now, he will return and take us home. To the troubled in heart, Jesus says, trust. Well, next we get Thomas. Uh, Thomas, then he speaks up uh, to the doubter. Jesus says, come. Lockdown, ending, international travel, coming back up, holidays on the cards. How are you all feeling about it? Maybe you've got your plans. Uh, well, let me tell you about a place which I know that is amazing. It's the best weather guaranteed. It's so good that if the weather's bad, they give you your money back. There's soft sand, warm water, beautiful scenery, food to die for, friendly people, and perfect waves. It's the sort of place you would never want to leave. It's the sort of place where troubles don't exist. 
and Narrenburn 10 a.m., you can all come. You already know the way. Now, if I said all of that, what would your next question be? Maybe you'd be a bit like Thomas, who says to Jesus, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I think Thomas, you know, he seems to be a little confused or not quite understanding what Jesus has said. He wants, I think, more concrete answers. Later in John's Gospel, when his friends tell him that they've seen Jesus risen from the Lord, he'll say, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He wants concrete evidence. He wants to see and he wants to touch. And so when Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going? Well, just like he'll later question the resurrection, Thomas questions Jesus. How can we know? How can we know the way? And it's a really important question because while the Father's home is good, it's no good and it's no comfort if they don't know the way. So verse 5 and 7, Jesus answers, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And you can't get much more concrete than that. The way to the Father's home is Jesus. Over and over again in John's Gospel, we've heard that Jesus say, you know, I've been sent by God, or that he is from above, or that he is the one from heaven, or that he is returning to the Father. It is clear, heaven is Jesus' home. He is the access point to heaven on earth. And so if you want to come, if you want to know the way, well, then you've got to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Uh, over lockdown, I've been doing a lot of running. A lot of be- people have been out on the paths and definitely down up near Punk- Punks Park, and that's often where I'm running. I often get asked for directions. People really want to know where the Willoughby Leisure Centre is. That's the thing I've noticed. And I'm always a little nervous answering because I'm not a good direction giver. I'm sort of like, yeah, it's over that way. Um, I'm sure I've helped more people get lost than found. Uh, I'm just not confident that I've told them the right way. But I am confident that Jesus is the way to eternal life. And you can be confident too, because Jesus is not only the way, he is also the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. He is the one and only Son who came from the Father. He is full of grace and truth. He makes known in high definition who God is. He fulfills every good promise. He is the truth. And so you can be confident that he is the way. And Jesus is the life. Chapter 1, in him was life, and the light was the light of all mankind. In chapter 5, the dead will hear his voice, and they will live. In chapter 11, we saw it happen. He spoke, and his dead friend Lazarus came to life. He is the life. So be confident that he is the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father, so come to him. Don't go somewhere else. Don't go searching for a new way. Don't go searching for a new truth. Don't give in to the lie that you can find your truth inside your own heart. Don't go searching for a new life, thinking there's a better life outside of Christ. Keep your focus. Keep your compass. Keep your center on the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas, you know, he wasn't sure of the way. I think he wanted a concrete path. 
And maybe you're like Thomas at times, you're unsure, you want things to be a little bit clearer, you're longing for some direction, maybe you have a heart full of doubts. And so you get tempted to search out answers in other places, philosophy, science, mystics. But Jesus speaks to Thomas and he speaks to you and he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. In your doubt, Jesus says, come to him. Come to me. Two disciples down, one to go. Uh, we're up to Philip. Philip's turn to speak up. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it's always a bit dangerous when you're just kind of guessing the motives of why the disciples speak the way they do. I don't really know what's behind Philip's request. Jesus has just said, if you really know me, verse 7, you will know my Father as well. And then Philip says, well, show us the Father. It's just kind of like, didn't you just hear what Jesus said? And so Philip could be confused. It's pretty common in John. You might remember from last week's passage, Jesus has washed their feet. And then Jesus will say, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. This kind of delayed understanding is common in John. So maybe this is what's happening to Philip. He'll understand things later. Or maybe Jesus' claims are so huge that Philip just wants more. If you think about it, Philip's a Jewish man. Uh, for centuries, the way to gain access to God, the Father, is really by being a Jew or by going to the temple. That's how you come into God's presence. But now Jesus says, I am the way. It's a world-shattering, shocking claim. Atala was sharing with the staff meeting, it's a dangerous claim. It's the sort of claim you'll get murdered for. And so, maybe, Philip wants more. Just like Moses wanted more when he asked God to show him his glory. But Jesus says, you don't need more. Jesus is enough. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Philip, you have more than enough to believe this. Verse 10, you have my words. Uh, Jesus' words are not like your words, they're not like my words. They are God's words. And Jesus, he's, it's not like he's an agent of God. It's not as if there's a little earpiece in his ear and God just kept telling him what to say. No, his words are God's words because the Father is in him. He is from God, the one and only Son of God. His words have the highest authority. And so he says to Philip, you have enough. You have my words. But then in verse 11, he says, and you have my works. Uh, you know, this slide, this is beautiful. I think Nadia made it. It's a brilliant splash screen. And I've got to say, on the live stream, I never really picked it up. It was too small. And if it was on the old projector, you probably wouldn't have been able to see it. But right now, soak it in, people. This is high definition. But around the edges are all the signs, all the works. You know, you've seen water turn into wine. Uh, you've seen a lame man healed. You've seen a huge crowd fed with five loaves and two fish. You've seen Jesus walk on water. You've seen a man born blind see. You've seen a dead man raised to life. Now, you've seen these things, he's saying to Philip. These works were done for the express purpose that you might see the glory of God, that you might know that the Father is in me. Philip, you've got enough. You've got enough to believe. And I think in some ways, let's just end the passage right here. Finish the conversation. Jesus has responded to Philip's question. You have my words, you have my works, that's enough. Believe. But it's interesting, 
enough is all Philip asked for. That's all he asked for. But in verse 12, Jesus adds one final thing, an incentive for belief. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will, how would you finish that sentence? Have eternal life? Will be with the Father? No, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. The disciples don't jump in here and ask questions, but if I was there, I'd be like, hold the phone. <laughs> what? Greater works? Greater works than raising someone from the dead? What, what is a greater work than that? Well, I think the greater works here is that the key might be that works don't only refer to Jesus' miracles. The work of God in 628, if you want to look it up later, is to believe the one whom God sent. The work of God is for people to see God's glory in Jesus and then either believe for salvation or reject in judgment. And this work of belief is at its peak and its climax after Jesus goes to the Father, which is how verse 12 ends. Because after Jesus goes to the Father, there is going to be exceptional clarity, better clarity than ever been before. Things the disciples don't understand now will be clear to them. You know, two weeks ago, Jesus riding on a donkey, and John said, you'll understand this later. Uh, Jesus washing his disciples' feet last week. All these things will make sense after the cross and after the resurrection. These things will be clear because Jesus' work will be complete. He yells it out on the cross. It is finished. And he will send the spirit of truth. Jesus says believe because a new age is about to come. And you will see greater works as there will be greater clarity as you see people believe in him as the Messiah. Believe, because greater works are here. And friends, I, I imagine sometimes you might want more than Jesus. I think that feeling might be especially true when you're troubled. You might want a sign from heaven you know, to know that God is really really there you might want to whisper from God just to know that you're on the right track in Jesus you have enough you have his words you have his works see and believe comfort where do you go to for comfort could be good places could be bad places where do you turn to in your troubles this morning God has spoken the troubled he says trust trust jesus has prepared a room for you in the father's home to the doubter jesus says come he is the way the truth and the life and to the one who wants more jesus says see see his words see his works and believe heavenly father we thank you that even in troubled times even as jesus christ was troubled he comforted his disciples in a way that only he could do. Thank you that he came and made you known. I thank you that he went to prepare a room for his disciples. Please, uh, might we trust, might we come, and might we see. We pray this in his name. Amen.